1: I did not want to die within the walls of this prison. My sentence was not death. But there were too many of us. Even when the prison opened in 1900, they could never keep an eye on all of us. Even if they wanted to. And they didn't. They thought we were filth. And they treated us like filth. And so we died, whether we were meant to or not some of us you know. Yes, Pancho Villa was a resident here until he famously escaped. And yes, the American writer William S. Burroughs spent two weeks here for shooting his wife in the head. We have our celebrities, but those are few and far between. So many more of us are forgotten, tortured, and murdered in our cells in the basement never to be heard from again today when you take a tour of these now sanitized halls repurposed to house the national archives you hear of the collective stories of prison life how awful it must have been you muse it's not real to you we are not real to you our names Our individual voices have been silenced. They call me the Black Chara when they see me, after my signature matador's costume. They gasp when they see my terrifying face, my recognizable outfit, knowing they're seeing someone from outside their time and space, their easy life. I open my mouth which is black as night, as black as my charro costume. And when you look inside, you see the depths of hell, the hell that thousands of us experienced. We will not be forgotten. We are the people whose blood made this place the building that it is. And now you have the audacity to be horrified when you see me. No, this is my house. I imparted the floors, the grass that has overtaken the lawn. We all are. They think they can rid this place of its crimes. They think they can turn it into a museum, give a tour, and its shadows will be forgiven, their sins atoned. The prison finally shut its doors in 1976. But every year of its existence was a blight on human decency. A blight on justice. The building was going to be destroyed after the prison was shut down. But the people of Mexico defended it. Those who didn't know any better. Those who didn't know that the past should be destroyed. The historian, Eduardo Blanquel, defended this den of iniquity, saying, the stones are not guilty of the crimes. No, but we are, and we're still here. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted real places on earth. This week, join me inside the walls of Mexico City's notorious prison, the Palacio de la Cumberri, which operated from 1900 until 1976. To this day, it's haunted. If you can't get enough haunted places, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast directory, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. The Palacio de la Cumberi began construction in 1888, and its doors opened two years later. A monolith that took up 24 city blocks. It was built primarily to incarcerate major political adversaries of the president at the time, Porfirio Diaz, though there are many reasons you could find yourself in the Black Palace. It doesn't matter what you did, whether you're a depraved murderer or simply a student whose political views do not align with the current government, you're here now. A day in the life at the Palacio de Lecumberri is not for the faint of heart. This is the most feared building in all of Mexico. It's a fortress designed to intimidate and control. Its reputation precedes itself. A young college student arrives on a summer day in 1970. He's a politico, a political prisoner arrested at a rally. He knows he will probably never see the sun again or go dancing with his friends. He sees the Life magazine article that was published in 1950. They called this pit, quote, an animal cage for great and petty criminals who murdered each other in knife brawls and lived in depravity in overcrowded cells, end quote. And now he's here. He is a victim of Mexico's dirty war. He is one of thousands of leftists, students, intellectuals, labor leaders that are crammed into this facility, rounded up like cattle, and thrown away. Guided into the rondine, the circular walkway that is center of the prison, the belly of the beast, he sees the central machine gun tower. Looming 150 feet above the floor, this evil eye watches over all. An invisible, all-knowing presence that is there to keep the peace. But mostly the men up there ignore the screams, silently condoning the atrocities that are occurring all around them. As if the humans are ants crawling over one another, meant to be squashed. The boy can barely make sense of the volume of people surrounding him. The prison was created to house approximately 800 men and women in individual cells, but there are almost 4,000 people here. There are about 15 human beings stuffed into each tiny cramped cell, just a few meters wide and deep, arms and legs poking out of the bars, backs against the wall, faces sweating, breathing inches apart from each other. The stench of unclean flesh is almost unbearable. In this design, wings branch out from a central point, in this case, the central tower. As he is shoved towards his new home, he peers down the infamous and harrowing Dormitory A. This is where the most vile criminals are kept. Serial killers. Men who have already been in prison. Men who can no longer function in society. But he gets a fate even worse. Dormitory M for the politicos. Isolated, raped by more dangerous inmates, tortured by the state. Here, standing up to the government is a worse crime than taking a life. Everyone is forced into Fahina, compulsory menial labor, and he is subjected to things like the chocho, hauling a 50-pound rock back and forth in the bathroom all day while being whipped. The young man endures additional torture. He's wrapped like a mummy in cloth and dunked into water until he almost drowns. He has no rights here. Because this student is a social cancer, the politicos here are treated worse than gringo drugueros and even the child molesters. The young man is never seen by his family again. Disappeared into the bowels of the Palacio. This was not uncommon. Hundreds of people stepped into this institution and never stepped out. And sometimes, they never even left in the afterlife. Who knows why the spirits remain here long after they have to. Shackled to a prison that's no longer a prison. Bound to a world they are no longer physically tethered to. We'll return to our
0: story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now, let's continue the story.
1: I used to work nights at the Palacio, a decade or so after it had closed as a prison. I was there after everyone went home, cleaning the reception area after the clerks and archivists went home, sweeping up the candy wrappers the visitors had dropped on their tours. When the building became a tomb, when I finished each night, I took my supplies to the bodega, the storage closet, down a long hallway away from the offices and the files. The building was secure. I knew I was safe. Yet every time I walked down that long corridor, the hairs on my arms stood on end. I got the chills, as if I might bump into someone or something. I knew that I was alone. At least that's what I told myself. Each day the feeling grew stronger that someone was here with me. Sometimes I jumped and turned around quickly, only to see that no one was there. One night, I finished later than usual. I returned my cleaning supplies to the Bodeguita. And then I heard it. Who's there? It was distinct. It was mournful. But no one responded. I looked behind doors. I turned on lights. No one. I went home and told no one about what I had experienced. I didn't want to be considered crazy. I didn't want people to think I was scared. Weak. More than that... I didn't want to lose my job. I heard the sighs, night after night. And finally, carefully, I was able to retrace my steps to follow the sad sound. I tiptoed stealthily so I could make sure I could catch this man. I was not going to go another night without finding who was here with me. I peered around the corner. And I saw him. A man was sitting at the reception desk. My stomach flip-flopped. My knees started to buckle. I was petrified. Who could I call for help? Finally, I mustered my courage. Who are you? How did you get in here? He swiveled towards me, face hung low unable to meet my gaze. Was he looking down at a gun? Some device to inflict harm? To kill me? I took a step closer, praying to God that my legs would not fail me. What do you want? I thought I might faint from fear, but I stumbled towards him. I was ready for anything. He lowered further, his haggard face, defeated. She did not come again, he said, shaking his head. Was someone else coming? I whirled around. There was no one. Who, I asked. Who didn't come? He put his head in his hands. Amalia, Amalia did not come. Something in his voice was ominous. Hairs stood up on my neck. And yet, I was lulled by his haunting voice. As if possessed, I inched closer. Who is Amalia, I asked. Amalia is my wife, he replied, refusing to look me in the eye. As the man got lost in his grief, I noticed some peculiar details. He was wearing an old, gray uniform, something out of the 1940s. But he didn't seem like a ghost, just a sad, tired old man. Do you work here? I set my bucket down for a moment and then looked back up. He was gone. Feeling like I was lost in a dream, I spun around. Had he gotten up suddenly? Where did he go? I had to steady myself against a wall. Where had he come from? And where was he now? The man had vanished as if he had never existed. Was I losing my mind? I was the one standing by the closest door, There was no way he could have gotten past me without my noticing. I willed my shaky legs to move. I ran to all nearby doors. They were all locked tight, the padlock secure. How was this possible? The man had been gaunt, sickly. How could he have disappeared with such stealth and agility? I listened for the sigh step. I was utterly alone. After that encounter, I was terrified of the night shifts. I would become ill with nerves, nauseous, paranoid. The walls were alive. I could feel them. A sweat would go down my neck. But the nights went by, and nothing. Finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I asked Martita, my coworker who had access to the building's records, to give me access to the documents of people that had been here, employees and otherwise. She obliged. More than three long, tedious hours, I went through the old files. And then, there he was, his unmistakable visage in front of my eyes. The hangdog expression, the mournful Haunted eyes. His name was Don Jacinto. He had been a prisoner here. His story brought tears to my eyes. Don Jacinto had been married to a woman named Amalia. He loved her more than anything in the entire world. She was his soulmate, his eternal flame. To Don Jacinto, she hung the moon. He would be loyal to her till the very end. But she betrayed him. She cheated on him with his friend. And her devious ways didn't stop there. She was a devil in disguise. Don Jacinto was a bricklayer for a very wealthy woman. Amalia and her lover knew this. They hatched a plot to steal from her. Using Don Jacinto's keys, they entered into her home robbing her of her money, her jewelry, her valuables. And when they were discovered, they smashed her head in with Don Jacinto's hammer. An arduous trial followed. Amalia testified against Jacinto. She swore he had planned everything, and wanting to protect his wife from the harsh life behind bars, He accepted the charges. In return for his sacrifice, she promised him eternal love. But he never saw her again. Every Friday, he waited for her visit. But she never came. He did this for just two straight months. And then, he had had enough. On the last Friday, Amalia did not visit he took his own life. He hung himself from the railing of the second floor. The next day I arrived to work early when the sun had not yet come out from hiding. I shared a strong coffee with Martita. However, I didn't tell her what I discovered. I had made peace with what I had seen. I now had a deep empathy and compassion for the man I had met. I hoped I had not seen Don Jacinto since, because his spirit had made his way beyond these walls. But as I headed toward the reception that morning, in the eerie, yellow, pre-dawn light, there he was. I was scared, I won't lie. But I made my way to him, and gingerly sat down in the chair next to him. He barely acknowledged me, so consumed with his grief he was. But finally he asked, have you seen Amalia? I couldn't help myself. I spoke softly, delicately, but I couldn't help but respond automatically. Amalia is dead. And for the first time, Don Jacinto looked at me dead in the eyes. I recoiled in horror. The man had no eyes, just dark, hollow sockets. Two dark abysses that could swallow your soul. Two portals into human misery. He raised his head back, embracing his pain, letting it fill him fully. I wanted to flee, but I couldn't take my eyes off of him. He screamed, his voice guttural, otherworldly, as if he were channeling a demon. I pushed away from him. I felt as if I were about to be sucked into his vortex. His body began to smoke, gray, noxious smoke, and it filled the room. I was overcome with it. I could barely breathe. The entire room was suffocating with a putrid, foul smell. I couldn't see anything. The smoke was filling my eyes. I was almost in darkness. And then, as the smoke cleared, I could see he was gone. Don Jacinto was gone forever. Our story will continue in a moment, right after the break. And now, back to our story. The man in the previous story is not the only former or current employee of the National Archives who has encountered ghostly prisoners. Those who stay working late often encounter spirits of the past. Usually, they see them at night. They whisper in their ears that they are not alone. Voices and footsteps coming down hallways, behind doors, from places you cannot see, that you can only feel in your beating heart and deep down in the pit of your stomach. An ominous foreboding. Because of the Palacio delle Cumberi, Incarceration always lasts long after death. And the spirits that remain can be as terrifying as life was behind these walls. No one wants to encounter the atrocities from the olden days. And yet, if you walk down the wrong hallway, you just might get a glimpse into the waking nightmare that was life at the prison. One hideous ghost is a former prisoner, a horrifying apparition that leaves everyone in fear. He's known as the Hanged Man. He insisted he was innocent, protesting at his sentencing. They had the wrong man. He should not be locked behind bars. It was wrong to send him to that pit of violence and inhumanity, but they locked him up. Rather than endure the depraved atrocities, he took his own life when the guards weren't watching. He tied his bedsheets together and hung himself. And now, years later, people encounter his corpse swinging, neck snapped, dead eyes bulging, his hands veiny and blue and bloated. It is said that he only appears on certain days of the year connected to his sentencing, to the days that cursed him, and he appears in the cell where he hung himself. Was his act in vain if he's still trapped in that cell for all eternity? Did he really set himself free? And it's not just prisoners that are resigned to a life locked in these walls after they leave their physical form. Sometimes, they're the former employees themselves. A man, weary and aging, wanders through the corridors. He carries thick files in his hands. Employees see him looking lost, plodding through the hallways. What is he looking for, they wonder. Those who have tried to contact him find him elusive. He'll move away disappearing, as if not wanting to be seen, trying to fade into the walls, perhaps trying to escape. So many of the spirits here want to communicate, want to impart their suffering, their demons, onto the living. But maybe this one wants to remain invisible, because he's afraid to tell you what he's seen. It's believed he is a former employee who worked here during the transition from prison to archive. But why is he still here? Will this always be a fortress of imprisonment? And those who do not see the present time wander and wander these halls unto infinity. And yet another employee is even more mysterious. He makes himself known. But he never visits the same person twice. He claims to be a doctor and always appears in Dr. Scrubs. He insists that he is here to help the sick. In fact, he's been called in. He's reporting for duty. However, the people he approaches never know what he's talking about. They call the Archives Command Center, inquiring if there are any indisposed employees requesting a doctor. And each time, the individual reports back that no, There have been no complaints of anyone under the weather. In fact, even more perplexing, the section of the building that the doctor keeps referring to no longer exists. After they call, they always return to him, thinking that they have run into a madman, should they call security. But they find he's no longer there, vanished into thin air. Extensive searches have been conducted to find this doctor. And they yield nothing. The mystery of his identity persists to this day. And here's the thing that always gives people chills, makes their hair stand on end. People never realize they're seeing a ghost. Everything about him appears human as much flesh and blood as you or I. No one knows they're being fooled until he's already gone. Some people behave badly in prison, even by Palacio standards. Men whose actions behind bars were reprehensible, even within the norms of this broken, depraved ecosystem. The prisoners that were considered beyond rehabilitation were kept separate, even from known murderers. These were men that were considered beyond the pale, and these people didn't even get a place indoors. They were corralled in an area outside the Torion Sur, or South Tower, particularly in the 1950s, when a crime wave during 1949 sent the population of the prison skyrocketing. The prisoners were kept on the lawn, with no protection from the wind or the rain or the cold, with no shade to protect them from the sun. These men were shown no mercy. Today, a policewoman patrols the grounds at night. It's no longer a prison. But there is still security each night that patrols these important national grounds. And while the national archives may be innocuous enough, she knows the truth of what remains at this place, even if it's just a knowing in her marrow, something that cannot be perceived with the mind. She knows that when she senses someone is behind her, it's probably just a breeze. But still, she jumps and checks anyway, eyes darting. "'Who's there?' she whispers. Each night she walks past the Torion sir. She can hear them. She can hear the former prisoner's cries of despair. She tries to make out a word, a name, to hear a prayer— wondering if they were looking up to the sky and begging an uncaring god for some reprieve from this hell. Their prayers went unanswered. Poor, sad men, she mutters to herself as she pulls her jacket tighter, the air becoming brisk and chilly. She continues her rounds. She rounds the corner, As she approaches Puerta Ocho, door 8, she rattles the gate to make sure it's locked. This is one of the areas with the greatest reports of supernatural activity. It's secure. It always is. And yet, there's something suspicious about this door. Nervously, the woman notices a cat approaching. She shoos it away. And then another cat... And another. The woman backs away. This many cats gathering makes her uneasy. It's been suggested that animals can see what we cannot. That their eyes are sensitive to the dimensions the human eye cannot perceive. They lack the stigma we have for acknowledging the spirit world. They can see it readily. The woman has seen this nightly ritual. It unnerves her. Legend has it that the cats were attracted to the prison after it closed because of the rats that overtook the empty grounds. But the woman cannot see the rats she hears about. She looks around, trying to find the menace they were after. They're agitated, yowling for the entirety of the night. They look past her. Her. She turns around to see what they're seeing. And each time, she sees nothing. But what she feels is terror. She can feel the rats. So why do the cats gather? Dozens of cats, ready to pounce, hissing and growling into the night. As people will tell you, there are no rats to be seen. Perhaps the rats they scare away are ghosts of the past, the ghosts that never leave. The Palacio la Lecumberi's ghosts serve as a reminder that even if we change our appearance, we cannot change what is inside of us. Today, the National Archive building is considered the most important in its class in the Americas, and one of the best in the world. Now, prison cells contain records instead of humans, and the hallways are galleries where researchers can read and work. In 2002, the police files in the archives were made public, detailing the abuse of political prisoners during the dirty war. So in a way, these cells still contain violence and horror. Inside the heart of the Palacio, there is still a dark history of human abuse and wretchedness. Not just the humans who committed vile acts, but the political prisoners who were forced to suffer at the hands of the government. These ghosts remind us never to forget what we are capable of. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. Don't forget to subscribe to Haunted Places on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. We'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Gina Machusik. I'm Greg Paulson.